Welcome to China Econ Talk. I'm your host Jordan Schneider here today with Kat Gu and Suji Yen, authors of the GitHub Anti 996 Open Source License. Thanks for coming on China Econ Talk. Yeah, hello guys. I'm Suji. Hi, I'm Kat. So maybe let's start out with you guys doing a little bit of a short self introduction. Yeah. So uh, actually, Kat, she's my wife, and、uh, I'm born in Shanghai and spent 17 years in Shanghai. Then I, I then go study. Computer science in UIC University of Illinois, and after that, spent one year in in Tokyo, U of Tokyo. Then, for some reason, I, I mean, I decided to start on my own venture on my own stuff. So I drop out, and I started doing on my on my own business since two thousand seventeen. But before that, I was also spent sometimes, you know, working on media as a part time journalist. And yourself, Kat. Um, I also study in U.S. in U of I. We are actually from the same school. I study biology、um, at first, then I transfer to environmental science. I got a bachelor degree in environmental science, and also a master degree in environmental science. I I also had a JD degree after after I finished my JD degree. I kind of like feeling like I'm. Not suitable to be a lawyer, so I want to do something I'm interested in. So I apply for the information science PhD program, but I only stay in the program for half a year because we kind of met each other, and、uh, he wanted to drop out. I think maybe we just because I I've never worked in a real company. I always doing my research. I I basically literally stayed in school for eight years. I never. Just come out, so I want to learn how the real society is like. So I just kind of like took a temporary leave. Sure.、Yeah. Uh, Suji, can you talk a little bit about your first engagement with the open source community? Oh yeah, like I start programming. I think in, I mean, when I was ten, maybe ten or twelve. Yeah, but, but you like, said you studied in high school. You studied、uh, history for the、Gaul. yeah, yeah. Yeah, in high school I studied for studied the history for Gaokao, but I didn't go to the Gaokao. I go to take the SAT. But I realized, okay,、uh, I mean, at that time there's some Chinese company they go IPO in the US. They're very large, and all the news is reporting them. But it's a very interesting software, not only IPO, but more about the software behind these companies.、Mm-hmm. So I take a look. And I found okay, these guys really great in business, but their lack of you know those contribution、uh, of software development in the open source community. And then I started reading books, and many from Richard Stallman and Linus, and all these old programmers who、uh, invent the ideology of open source community and open source movement. And when I graduated from high school、uh, in the first year of my college, I was kind of free, and I noticed that there's some Chinese media such as Q Daily. They're starting to write some articles about the open free software movement,、mm-hmm. but they're not really good. So I wrote an email to the CEO of this media and say, "Okay, I can write a better version of these articles." So、mm-hmm. they say, "Yeah, you can rap." Then. Uh, when I was nineteen, I came out came out with my first article in mainstream Chinese media. It's about、uh, Microsoft and open source community, how they help each other become better. That's the forty years anniversary of Microsoft, I think. Yeah. Then I start to、uh, learn a lot, not only as a perspective of programmer, but also a perspective of like a journalist. Sure.、Know? Yeah. So, could you explain for the listeners a little bit about the the story of Linux and the impact it had, and what it ended up doing for software in general? Yeah, I mean, the story of Linux is like、uh, Linux found by Linus, and Linus is the name of the guy. And I think he found he started writing the code of Linux when he was in college during his summer vacation, and after he got some draft. He was inspired by Richard Stallman,、uh, the founder of Free Software Foundation, 
uh, Richard Stallman gave a speech at the Finland College at that time, and uh, Linus is in the audience. And he think that's so cool. I should make my software uh, free and open. At that time, if you remember, I mean, if the audience remembers, that's the good time, oh, good time of Microsoft. Microsoft is so huge, so big. Mid nineties, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah large comp- company but gradually after the fighting of all the OS operating system after fighting of all the Unix compatibility stuff Linux actually is going very very well and when Linux he moved to the valley Silicon Valley after he graduated 80 years uh, the Linux is actually the one of the mainstream operating system used by developers sure and then comes the dot com bubble and dot-com bubble is busted because of the the U.S. government, the Congress, the Microsoft. But still, I mean, after dot-com bubble, people start to realize there's something called cloud, cloud computing stuff. Yeah, and Linux is definitely the top choice because it's open source, it's free. Everyone's, you know, can change it, but uh, only if they obey the same rule, they they're willing to contribute something to the community. So the cloud computing business... Sorry, so just to pause. So open source versus not open source software means that anyone... Basically, who are, who are the people who are generally writing open source software? Oh, at first, it's just university college professors like uh, MIT, uh, Berkeley, UIC. These guys have the uh, college license, you know, the MIT license, the Berkeley license... They got public funding from uh, DARPA or the, uh, the local government. So I think they think that this let's better publish everything to the public. Sure. So that's the very old time in the 1916, in 1970. Yeah. But gradually, people like Richard Stallman, he think, okay, it's good that we publish this thing to the public, but we should prevent those companies to make it private again. You know, because... If you can, you can take other people's public prop, uh, code to make it private again and sell it to business interests. That's not good. So Richard Stallman, he started thinking about, okay, let's have a new foundation called Free Software Foundation. Mm. And they got a new license, a new GPL license. He tried to persuade a lot of major uh, developers, major uh, projects to use that license at the time. Uh, well, it's very tough, but uh, interesting that it's very interesting that Linus he followed this ideology and which become one of the largest operating system in the world after twenty years of development. So, what role does open source software play today in the uh, global development community? I think a lot of important fundamental uh, infrastructure is open sourced. And even Microsoft today, they acquired GitHub, uh, I think it's like $8 billion and to endorse their the open source community to sure. show their attitude. So I think uh, today more and more companies, they're, they're in trying to endorse open source and no one will say, okay, we will make the open source code uh, private again. See, no one dare to say that. Yeah, And I think th- this uh, open source thing is the fundamental of the internet, because internet is like is the the, the World Wide Web is invented by Tim Berners Lee. He gave us his personal interest and makes a lot of things open source as well. Yeah. What does it mean for for industry that that things develop faster, that more things are interoper- interoperable? Yeah, I mean the first thing is interrupt faster. It's like the globalization. Everyone can enjoy it. Everyone can be part of it. And the second thing is more about the the free software. It's like you we all we all agree that okay, don't take the public treasure for the business interest, but you can still build something upon it, but keep the code open. Sure. Yeah, that's the GPL the GNU thing. Yeah. So like when we write a software like today, it's all it's it's actually very big. It contains like lots of like modules, like like also like lots of like millions of sub modules. So basically, open source it, it increase efficiency of writing software because you can use others' modules. Sure. You don't have to write everything from zero. It's gonna take a lots of of time. So if others write a small module, you can combine all the small modules into a big one. So sometimes, if we use open source software. You can you can just spend like one or two days to write, uh, you know, just a, a big big software. Sure. Yeah. 
So let's come back to the labor issue. I'm, you guys have, have spent a fair amount of time uh, uh, outside of the U.S. I'm curious how you, I mean, outside of China, yeah. I'm curious how you uh, first were aware of, maybe had some connection, had some interest in the labor practices, uh, particularly of Chinese firms. Yeah, I mean, the 996 thing, uh, I used to work in Be- a local Beijing startup in 2015. At that time, I don't think there's a 996 thing. Because I, I know there's some company they do work very hard. Sometimes they do work overtime. But when I talk to my friends or other staff founders, they don't think they don't they won't say that we're nine and six. There there is no such concept. It's just okay. We work very hard. We try to be successful. Mm. But after I came back in, in Shanghai in 2017, and I also travel in Beijing a lot for meeting investor and meeting staff founders, and I start to realize there's something called nine and six. Because gradually, after four or five years of the, you know, the, the strong competition, people will think, okay, they work so hard, they will work harder. You know, our competitors, they raise a lot of money, we should work more harder. So yeah. they start to work over time, and then they start to make this thing a standard. And the standard is called 9 and 6. It's like work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and that's 12 hours a day, and you work three days. No, sorry, six days a week. Yeah. That's terrible. And I think this is not so new. It's, it's already been there, but when, you, when, when, the, when the industry make this thing a standard or they give it a name, it's horrible. That's the first time I noticed. That's, the, that's two years ago, 2017. But still, uh, some companies, they are not willing to do 96. They try to say that we are good companies. So first I want to say, like, 96 is just, it's not a local problem. It's just not China. Uh, because uh, there are actually many uh, companies in India, also in the United States, even we think it's a very advanced, you know, place. Those, like, small startups, they are also using the same model. Maybe not 96. Big big ones as well. I mean, we just saw Bioware, for instance, the publishers of, of Mass Effect and a number of other many successful games. Basically, there's a trend in the game industry, at least, where for the final three, four months of a project, it's called crunch time. Uh, and you see these uh, you see these stories written on Kotaku and other uh, websites that cover this sort of thing where they, um, you know, people are going to the ICU because they've been coding for 14 hours a day for seven days a week yeah. or what have you. So. Another thing I think is, I have to say, like China has has done a really good job in cracking down the violations of labor law in traditional industry in the past few years. But I think like people, like most people, they don't realize like uh, programmers also suffer from the like working overtime problems because like programmers, like I think in the United States, I think they are considered as like elite class like lawyers mm. like professors like you know doctors they think they they got like really high income have a really nice job have high benefits but like people just don't realize you know like like programmers uh, still they are just like laborers like you know they still suffer from the same yeah. problem so I'm, I'm curious what you guys would say to some people who say you know like like there are IEs who work cleaning hotel rooms for seventeen, you know, for sixteen hours a day. Um, there's many other people in Chinese society who don't have nearly as bright futures, as as highly paying jobs as those folks that do nine nine six or or nine nine seven. So what what's the what's the critique there? I mean, my opinion is like okay, it's it's very lucky for for software engineers and developers in the IT industry. They're highly educated, so they can realize this is wrong. And some of other uh, employee laborers in other industry probably don't have the chance to to study abroad, to to speak many language, to have the you know high highly trained skill. So it's very harder for them to realize. Okay, this is actually not obeyed local labor law. Yeah. So it's. I mean, sometimes I I saw it on Weibo, actually on other social media as well. You know. They were arguing, okay, I'm I'm a guy from media industry. I'm a guy from the banking industry. I also work overtime. Are you just are you programmers just so, you know, just making up the blacklist? And you're just maybe too. Sometimes you are you considering us? I mean, we're also very terrible. But I think it's it's better. Let's say, okay, programmers are very lucky to notice this thing first. Yeah, I think one reason is because. 
you know, we are at the international, like, like internet age or internet era. So, like, you know, programmer is a very important group of people because everything, basically everything we use, like phones, like all the kind of stuff, rely on their contribution. Uh, but so, so that means like programmers, they have much more bargaining powers yeah. than low skill job because low skill jobs can be like replaced very easily. But pro- some like you know programmers who are at the very important like position, they are hard to replace. So they have more bargaining power. So that's why I think it's a reason like programmers they first realize the problems and they they want to make a change to make things better. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you've seen this labor trend a bit in the U.S. just over the past uh, six to twelve months of you know Google employees walking out upset over um, Me Too payouts or upset with certain contracts um, for working with the government. Uh, it's 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 fascinating seeing this I guess like labor consciousness form. Yeah. Um, so let's come to uh, your license. So this was very recently. You guys uh, yeah. you guys got this idea, right? So yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about the backstory of how it came about? Yeah. So I mean the 986.su GitHub repo is not I mean funded by us. It's some other programmers and other programmers and a lot of contributors. They're kind of you know complaining about their working condition and they they also have a whitelist and blacklist. But uh, I mean, shout out to Doban. Yeah, Doban uh, is the whitelist guy, yeah. and other company on the blacklist. But I think blacklist and whitelist is it's just a, a, a guide for the job. You know, it's like the glass door in yeah. the US. It's 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 powerful, but it's not enough. We already have glass door somewhere. You know, also there's some Chinese version of glass door. If if you use GitHub, there has to be something more, have the spirit of the open source. And very lucky, you know, uh, one week ago, I think, one week ago, someone, uh, they started GitHub pull request, GitHub issue, and saying that, okay, why should we uh, invent a new license? It's about labor labor law, it's about protecting labor's right. People will people suddenly think, oh, that's so fascinating, and that's the right thing that programmers can do. Yeah, because we had proper skill, proper uh, uh, you know, mind to do it. But unfortunately, they don't have the the law background. Sure. And I think good no thing one... you two are married. <laughs> we are yeah. married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think at that time, no one were willing to help them because I mean, no one pay you. I mean, I think uh, I talked to some lawyers and they're not willing to help these guys. Yeah, and then that's the seven. That's a week week ago. It's the Saturday morning. Last Saturday. Yeah, I talked to Cat. So this is yeah. this is March thirtieth or whatever. March twenty nine or March thirty. Yeah. Okay. March thirty. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked to Cat that okay, we should take a look, and, and definitely you should take a look because I know how the open source license works, but I'm not a lawyer and I don't have the law degree, you know, and she. She I actually no. refused at the first time. <laughs> yeah, I say no because you know he because he's not paying you, right? No, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't get paid for his like for the things I'm doing for him. But the reason I say no is I thought it's just complain, like you know, like people complain about their jobs all the time. I complain about my job. Like my friends complain about their jobs. Like you know, like when you hang out with friends, like the 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 one topic we always talk about is complain about their, you know. Colleagues complain about their boss. Sure. That's, it's just complain. I, I thought it's just, oh, I don't want to get involved in this. But um, because he is, he kept, he kept like, you know, like bothering me, like, just check out the repo, check out the repo. I was kind of like, well, maybe I should just check out, like, you know, and then I can look at it. And and the way I look at it, I, I, I found it's, it actually really fits into my research interest. So because my research is always on the, uh, you know, combination of law and technology, how to setting the rules for, for new technology. I've done research on like a biofuel certification. I've done a regulation of uh, probabilistic risk assessment. It's a kind of like a technique using uh, nuclear energy. I also have um, write the, the blockchain blockchain course for Waseda University that's include like law and regulation, also other economic stuff. So so my research in this area, I think I think when I saw the ripple, I, I think this is something that had never been studied. Like or has never been deeply studied. I I think maybe I should just have a try. Mm. Yeah. So 
you know, like every time, like when a researcher sees a new topic, like he, he never touched and fits into his like research interests, he will be like really, really excited, really, really happy, just want to try it out. Sure. So that's my intention at the beginning. Okay. So, so what happened? So you guys write a license and then. Yeah, we spend a, a, a whole night. Right, the license. We just discuss the topic we want to cover in the license, because like all the op- open source license, it has to be international. First thing is it has to be international. So there are lots of things we need to consider because you know what if a if a standard has to be international, you have to consider you know the authority of each jurisdiction. You have to respect each country's jurisdiction. So, but. Obviously, those like programmers don't understand that point. So sure. th- there's actually a, a a version before mine. So they said like you know, uh, basically the programmers not uh, so the, the the employer shouldn't force their employee to work more than forty hours, like per week, something like that. But you know that that kind of standard is not international because like each country have different labor laws. I know China is you know the work limit is forty. I think U.S. is forty, and maybe India has different standard. Maybe Japan has different standard. But for standard to be international, I think it's just best for us to say like comply with labor laws of each country. Mm-hmm. So that's give you know you know just showing respect to their jurisdiction and uh, also we add some terms like because I know there's some place like in Middle East you know for those like dictator countries like they may not respect the labor laws or there are some places like the uh, women's rights or are not respect because some like women cannot be engineers I think for those countries, like it's just better to require them to comply with the uh, international labor convention because mm. that's a mostly agreed international like standard on labor protection. Yeah. So we we just consider we just try to consider all the things we want to cover, mm-hmm. and we just write out the yeah. license. Another thing to add on, I think, is to is the, how the jurisdiction work. Because, for example, a, lar- a multinational large corporation, they can have different branch, and they can always pick the the the, the place that has the weakest labor law. And for example, if there is a a U.S. company, so they know like maybe India has less labor protection, so they can move uh, just to just to open up branch there to force their like India laborers or India developers to work overtime mm. and then then ship those like results back to the United States and sell that in the United States. I think it's it's unfair to people in India that if it's that the situation so we we want the those multinational company to comply with the laws of of the jurisdiction um where they like re- like registered or operate. Sure. So like you know, so in that case, in the in the case I mentioned above, so the place they operate gonna be like you know, India. So they have to comply with stricter ones. That's gonna be United States. Yeah, and actually this thing is already been in the WTO, I think. Yeah, or, that's or, or that's the, such the, kind yeah. of of center is already in, in WTO. Yeah, and in the also in the United Nations, some of the convention, but unfortunately, no one thought this thing should be applied for the IT industry because yeah. the import and export of software is you don't see a thing you know transport out of the country. It's just you know you submit a, a pull request on the GitHub, suddenly it's in another country, yeah. so it's. I mean, not a few people noticed this thing before. Okay. So you write this thing, you put it online. Let's do a little bit more background before we jump into the aftermath. So the idea of open source software is that anyone sitting in their dorm room, in their, in their office, um, you know, when they're not doing their actual work at work um, is publishing software online, which then can be, which then anyone else around the world can use um, to build their own applications, build their own programs, build their own companies. Um, But the idea with this particular license you guys wrote is that it's saying that I'm going to do this free work. I'm a, I'm a coder. I'm going to do this free work. 
But if you want to use this for your company you're building, you have to be sure that you're treating your workers in a certain way. Yeah. And if yeah. you're not, then you're open to suits. I can pull the software out from under you. Yeah. Um, you won't be able to use my work that I've given to the world as a, um, uh, as a free gift. Yeah I, yeah, yeah, I always say, like, you know, because many people don't understand, you know, what open source license is. So I always say it's just a, it's a, it's kind of like a, a contract template. So I only write a contract template. So because if you, so for traditional industries, like, you know, for, for if you want to transfer your, your right to an IP or copyright, to others, you still have to sign a contract, like transfer, like copyright transfer contract or something like that. This is exactly a kind of like simpler version or, or, or yeah, it's kind of like simpler version of like copyright patent transfer contract or a version that is like, like specific to the, to the software industry. So it's, it's the, the, the concept is actually very, very simple if you think of it as a, as a contract. So if you want to use, use my stuff, you have to comply with this kind of terms. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, GPL is like, uh, if you use my code, you have to open source your code as well. Yeah. And MIT is like, I uh, don't care if you open source it or not. And our version is like, if you use our work use the code use the code under this license you have to treat your employee according to the local labor law yeah yeah i think it's, it's, it's the, the same spirit you yeah know? the concept is actually very very simple okay so you publish this and 12 hours later there's tens of thousands now i guess almost two hundred thousand people who've started on on github i mean so, before we published this thing the the 996.ic you already got the you know ten thousand. More than more than hundred thousand, maybe the star. But after uh, we, I think uh, it's hundred and around a yeah. hundred and thirty yeah. or hundred and forty. Yeah. So the the thing uh, is, uh, we we publish it through a pull request. Some someone's maintaining that repo, so we said, oh, we got better version of this license mm -hmm. and come from CAD and I because we have some better background. You guys check it out, and they think, wow, cool, and we have, we should merge this thing into our repo. Then after they merge into this report, people think, wow, people have, who, who can read English, who have some understanding of law will think, wow, this can work. So all of a sudden, more people start to start on this thing. And uh, more interesting is that people, I mean, after 12 hours, I think, there are, real, there are a list of projects who use this license. Yeah, there are yeah. already yeah. more than 1,000 projects, yeah. like small, big, they are using the license right yeah. now. They, they put the uh, a whole fame, I think, on the on the readme of that repo, say that uh, this is full list of rip, uh, projects using that license. It's like a whole fame. Mm. It's very fast, just twelve hours, and now it's like already five days, and there's more than a hundred uh, projects starting using this uh, license, and more than a thousand trying to consider this. They're putting the discussing this on WeChat, on Weibo, or whatever, Twitter, Facebook, yeah. Have you been uh, surprised by the reaction domestically here in China? Yes. Yes, I mean... We have actually never expected that because, as I said, I the only reason I'm, I'm doing this because it's my research interest. So I have never expected, you know, you know, I just, I'm doing this for fun. It's like, just like coding for fun. I'm doing this for fun. So I, 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 at first, I didn't expect like someone gonna notice this. I didn't expect they will adopt this. I, I didn't expect they're gonna really use this because it's a very very simple draft. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Compared to GPL, GPL is like two page long. Yeah, GPL is very very long. They have like yeah. definitions like this, very, very long, very detailed. But at that time, I just wanted to write something that can be used immediately. So I choose the MIT license as a as a template. But MIT is only like three paragraphs. Mm. Mine only have like maybe six. Yes, yeah, so it's very, very simple one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm also surprised because when I talk to other developers in China about free and open source software movement, I mean, they, they do know it, but they, they don't know how can they change their life, you know? me if i'm i'm looking for fun i can definitely write some code i can open source it but how this thing can affect my own life but now i think the after they saw this license i said oh wow if i'm working in a wireless company 
and I'm I'm contributing some large and great open source project. I can try to put that license in the project and make those people who work for a while a blacklist company have a chance to make those bots consider it uh, let's don't do nine six. Yeah. So so the idea being this is a this is a forcing function um both to get people talking about the issue as well as you know pulling pulling the rug out under uh, folks, you know, say you're say you're a company that does a nine nine six or very aggressive um, labor hours or labor policy, and you want to build a new feature into your app or whatever. But if that new feature is built on open source software that has the license you guys wrote in it, um, then you know you either have to write it all new by yourself or um, or change your labor practices um, unless you're going to potentially open yourself up to uh, having the software removed or or a potential lawsuit. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I want to add on that. I mean, this is how uh, Linux, how how the Linux Foundation over overturned people's attitude of Microsoft, and I think this is actually quite successful practice twenty years ago happened in the United States, and I think this thing this time can happen or it's originated in China. I'm very proud of it, and I think this thing can be happened everywhere. In the world, the power of open source is very strong, yeah. So I just spent two years at a master's program in China in China studies. And doing it, I watched a lot of ITE, but didn't necessarily gain too many hard skills. Had I only known that at the University of San Francisco's new master in applied economics, I could have learned something to actually make me super employable. You know, R, SQL, machine learning, all that good stuff you actually see on job listings in Silicon Valley and Zhongguansun, not necessarily have you watched all of Song. So in this program, you can study the economics of platforms, auctions, and business strategy at the same time as you learn the tools of econometrics and experimental design and machine learning. Plus, for all those non-U.S. students out there, this program is designated STEM, so you can apply for a three-year extension on your student visa and keep working in the U.S. after you graduate. To learn more and get an application fee waiver, go to usfca.edu slash Jordan. So, so you've gotten a lot of attention from uh, from journalists like myself over the past uh, uh, over the past few days. I'm curious uh, what you think the uh, foreign and domestic media has understood and, and has gotten wrong about uh, this story. I I frankly have to say, like many Western media, um, they kind of like a, have a bias against this. I mean, they they probably have some bias against China, so they think of this as a like a protest. But uh, I think the nine six ICU, like uh, they the the main report, they write something like this is not a political movement. And uh, and actually, my project, the license project, is actually f- separate from the main uh, project because mine is purely a research project because I started it, it as a research project. Yeah. My intention is, so I, I do think it's a it's a very very good opportunity for China's you know high tech industry in terms of you know now in the world. Uh, only U.S. people or maybe a European uh, and U.S. people are writing open source license. And the whole thing is regulated uh, by an uh, organization in the United States called Open Source Initiative yeah. and maybe another called Free Software Foundation. So when I talk to their people, they think my license is not open source license because like they think open source sh- license should restrict you know other people for to use the use the software for any kind of purpose, even though the purpose is bad. But for for me, I think there is a there are some universal value that all the human beings agree. Like, you know, a good thing should not used for like terrorism. Maybe not used for like you know violation of labor protection. Maybe not for violation of people's right to their data or something. So there are some universal value that all the people agree. So I think an open source license should protect this kind of like universal value, like common value for the whole world. And I I also think it's a very good opportunity uh, for China because I think, um, because, you know, the China's, you know, high-tech industry is very strong. It's kind of like, you know, it's always competing with, like, you know, United States it's not just competing; it's also collaborating with United States. But it, I just want to say it's very strong, it's very big. But 
th- this kind of like strong or the power is only reflect only reflect in their you know maybe size but not reflect in whether it has discourse power in setting the rules i think it's very important mm. i think it's a time for china to start to participate in setting the rules for the like internet industry i think it's good for for china's you know industry the internet industry's development in the future so that's what i'm thinking about yeah i mean the the open source or the free free open source software should be definitely should be international and i mean but in the past uh, there's a reason that only us company are involved because at that time only only us got those developers but now it's very different i hope that you know all the asia china japan india, india, india they can also be very involved important as well yeah and uh, another thing i think is very interesting that how how medium view this in different aspects yeah, like I've, like wild and they, they, wild is yeah. a very good one because I, I definitely that journalist he has a background in in tech so he knows what we say others yeah, some of to, them they we have to explain what is github and why this thing happened there there's a reason that this thing happened in github not on weibo or facebook because this is a a a i think it's a legacy of open source software movement and we'll, it will be, we'll have new spirit new legacy like the anti-96 license carried we, we will carry them to the next generation yeah i think like some of them i i do think i'm not saying they are writing something like bad but they just kind of like they ignore one of the very important aspect of this the thing like it's a it's a, it's value to the open and free software movement, they they kind of they just want to write about the the protests, you know. But it's, I think it's important, but it's not the only thing. Sure. There are other things they should look at. Yeah, and I I always told them, okay, the the software license we wrote after several decades of development, they can save a lot of people's ass. I mean, let's imagine that the overwork banker in Wall Street. You can't imagine they get these guys sue their investment banks, right? But you can imagine that because these guys are using some great open source software for like uh, uh, making their slides, for like uh, drafting their you know articles. And if one day these slides, uh, these software, they have some you know ethical uh, concern. I think that they were definitely gradually change every industry related with the software. Yeah, could could you could you tease out that connection a little bit? How open source licenses can end up spreading from the technology industry a little wider? So, I uh, just for example, like I will use the Wall Street as an example. So, for example, the Wall Street, you know, the company there is a company, maybe an investment company in Wall Street or on Wall Street. Yeah, uh, they are using some software. It's built based on some. Uh, other open source software that are using the NT996 license. That basically means the investment company cannot force their people to work overtime because you are using the uh, using the software. The software because it's not just about you know people creating things. This well, it's not just people writing software based on the software. It's also about how people, other people using the software. Using means like you know creating other software based on the software, or just using the software. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what he means. Yeah, and also uh, some uh, some very huge projects like Python. Uh, the creator of Python, he already mentioned on Twitter that we should support something like this. And he sh- said he, like N ninety six is inhuman. Yeah, and so, he even started the Ripple. You know. Yeah. So for, just imagine like Python have adopted license. Basically, means every project, as long as you are writing something using Python, you cannot like. If you are a company, you cannot allow your your employees to work overtime. Yeah, and uh, again, the idea is the idea is it's not necessarily work overtime; it's overtime without pay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. and overtime that's not uh, in accordance with whatever your nation's yeah, labor it, laws. Just you have to comply with labor laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and maybe Python is too big or Linux is too big, but just imagine you know some new projects, but also very valuable project like like Ethereum. Like like all the new fancy stuff, AI, blockchain, IoT, 
And they're so new, and some of the fundamental uh, library come from college, come from those uh, developers. They're coding this for fun. And, and at first, I mean, when they heard of this license, they would definitely think about, oh, should we try? I mean, I think in the future, when there, there's more fundamental libraries built by those guys, they would definitely consider to use this license or, or sim- a license with similar ideology to protect the, the labor right. Of developers, and then then they can protect labor right of every individual in every industry yeah. gradually. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is one of the fascinating things about is about about software, right? Is it only yeah. takes uh, one or a handful of people who, if they create a really interesting new powerful AI algorithm or um, you know something that works really good with the Internet of Things or self driving cars or what have you, if you want to use that, they can sort of give it to the world, but set the terms. Um, and using something like your license allows you know that person working in their dorm to set the terms in a, in a way that they find ethical or um, or humane or what have you. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah, the idea. That's, that's the idea. Uh, anything else on this topic before we turn to data privacy? Oh, uh, we want to say we want to... It's kind of like related to data privacy. So we want to expand the license to to some other area that, you know, where the universal value lines. The the, the, the next thing we, we want to do is uh, kind of like a data protection license because data privacy issue is a huge issue now and like yeah, like people everywhere are discussing this issue. So what next, we, we want to draft something. It, it's going to be very similar. So like, you know, just like just to force those big companies to resp- to 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 not to misuse their users data yeah, yeah something yeah. like that yeah, yeah. like That's you already passed the gdpr but uh us still need a federal level law about data pro- you know data protection law and i think you know if there's uh, it's the same thing you know if for example if the southeast asia or somewhere in the world they don't have the data protection law those large corporations like facebook they would just you know still harvest data from this country yeah it's very bad but just imagine that you know an international uh, international standard such as license then can can definitely help with yeah because for a company such as facebook you have to comply with the laws of jurisdiction where it is purchased it's going to be United States. It's going to be California. Sure. So they cannot store, like, you know, users' data, even though the, you know, the users are in China or in other places of the world. So that's a, that's kind of like we next, our next step. Cool. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, relative level of consciousness, awareness, um, interest in data privacy issues in China domestically? Oh, I think gradually people are realizing this issue. And especially people like uh, Kat and I, you know, in our age, we're so-called the, the internet age, you know, and we internet use citizen. our, yeah, internet citizen, and we use our... International citizen. International citizen in the internet age. Yeah. Yeah, and we use all those apps, all those services, all days, and I think a lot of people start to realize. But the thing is, we don't have an alternative choice. Let's say uh, we know Facebook has got some problem. I mean, Twitter also got some problem. We know WeChat got some problem. We will definitely got another problem. It's 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 very hard. I mean, for those industry giants to change by themselves because so either, they have no competitors. Yeah, so either the community and the, the the industry standard try to uh, negotiate with them. Let's let's change the thing. Let's don't do this Harvard data stuff. Or the government has to put some strong regulation, has some a very severe lawsuit, like uh, Microsoft v United States. Mm-hmm. Now probably will be a Microsoft and Facebook v United States. But, but I mean, lawsuit is the final step. You know, and there's many step, many ways that can make things. Now that. Uh, Makes things much more smoother to for them to transmit from a, a problematic industry uh, business model to a new business model. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I think two, three years ago, the CEO of Baidu still talking about people in China don't care about their privacy. Uh, but now, now I, like one month ago, it, uh, yeah. it's on the Consumer Protection Day, uh, March. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. So the, the government point out there are several uh, companies that are violating. 
basically like you know data protection because China don't have data protection. It's, well, consumers but, right, consumers it, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's the the change is very fast. Only one or two years. I, we imagine that you know after one or two years. I mean, after. The, the European government do something on on those large tech giants after the U.S. government calling Zuckerberg in the Congress. I think definitely Chinese government should will, will do something very very fast, yeah. Yeah. and and people's you know uh, awareness will definitely change gradually, and there will be new business model uh, behind this thing. There will be new uh, industry standard. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting how the how it it is really something that has been a bit of a global consciousness thing and there have been different breaking points for each country you know i think post uh, in the u.s maybe uh maybe for europe it was like a snowden type thing that got people worried and um yeah. and anxious about it in the u.s it was probably uh russia in the 2016 election um and cambridge analytica and all of that sort of fallout uh in china you know there hasn't been like a giant hack on the level of Equifax that I yeah. guess has been publicized yet to get everyone freaked out that, you know, all of their purchases on WeChat are now, you know, you can, everyone can download online or something that hasn't necessarily happened, I guess, to my knowledge or to yeah. yours yet. But, um, you know, maybe I, it, it's interesting to think whether it will take a sort of mass event like that, or will the global conversation be enough to, to, to get people moving. Yeah, I, I hope just there's no such event. Sure. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, I mean, I think there will be some, some event coming coming out because, I mean, the, the leaking of data is already being a very important and very severe global issue. Yeah. yeah. And the, the global conversation over, you know, different countries, there will be this issue on the table, you know, because let's say um, there's some very big Chinese company, they're making software for other other people's uh, other countries' users. They definitely should obey the law of the stricter, you know, the most strict law of two countries. And when when the different government talked about this issue, they were thinking, oh, sure, I should follow up with this issue. Yeah, I think a group of Chinese people gonna gonna change really fast because. You know, like the the China's like economy has developed has developed so fast in the past few decades. So there are a group of Chinese who, so just like my mother, like some. So in the United States, some people at my mother's age still care about you know data privacy, but for my mother, she won't like realize the issue because you know just the economy developed so fast. He so. Her ideology is still at the old age, mm. but I think for the new generations, they were they will realize the problem very very fast, mm. yeah, because they are all kind of like international citizen like us, mm. yeah. So you 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 have a a, a project uh, related to data privacy, yeah. and we were speaking over lunch. You said in talking to uh, to Chinese VCs, they have a very hard time wrapping around wrapping their, yeah, their heads right. around it. Yeah, uh, the project's, uh, the company's called Dimension, the project's called MassBook.io. You just check out MassBook.io, it's like, you know, put a mask on every book. And I can't say the book, you know, what, you well, know who, you we know we who. we were already talking about yeah, Facebook. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> anyway, so, so the saying is, I mean, I think, I think people definitely will continue to use Twitter, Facebook, any platform they, they use day to day, but, uh, before these platforms shift shift uh, from the current business model to the new business model, there will be a transit, and we we'll try to build the transit, and we'll try to build a new business model for them and for the whole uh, big data, a whole uh, internet, the social networks, and uh, the the product is like okay, you can post whatever you you like, like your day to day use of Facebook, but Facebook the company they cannot steal your data after you use the Maskbook plugin and use the you know new fancy stuff like blockchain and encryption yeah I think uh, encryption is one of important part for data pro- you know protection uh, Mark Zuckerberg himself two weeks ago he also wrote a blog about how Facebook should translate to a end to end encrypted social network and how we should issue the new Facebook t- uh, coin yeah but still uh even I think himself figure out what he should do and what Facebook should do in the in next step. 
seeing general public, also the board member of Facebook, and also a lot of employees, they don't they don't figure this out. I mean, they 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 spend ten years of writing code, figure out how to give you the good recommendation, the best recommendation of advertisement. Yeah. And now when you say, oh no, we don't do the data stuff, it's it's quite tough for they for them to realize that the old model is wrong. We have to transit to the new model, especially for the venture capitalists. Not uh, not only here, but I think Chinese venture capitalists take more time to understand this thing. As I said, uh, their ideology is very different because I think most of the venture capitalists they are at their forties or fifties, so it's roughly my mother's age. Mm. So their ideology is kind of like old, as in well, both. So you know, like, but I think they will catch up. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's interesting because in 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 the Chinese tech ecosystems, you know, just like everywhere, but particular, I think you have these like very aggressive trends, which all of a sudden become very hot. You know, yeah. you had like bike sharing, you had ICOs. Um, you know, maybe a year from now, the new hot trend will be investing in these like data privacy companies or something. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it, it'll be interesting if and when that. Um, that does catch on, and and how it plays out differently in the U.S. Um, than than in China. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope, but let's start from now because it's let's do it better earlier. You know, because the more data we protect, it, the, the the secure, the, the the easier for people to translate to the new model, and you're 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 you lose more, you you gain more privacy on on every social network. Yeah, sure. Uh, anything else, Kat? We're looking for a, a new PhD advisor. So, if there are any um, professors listening who'd who'd like to uh, uh, who'd like to find a, a, a lovely, enterprising young um, uh, PhD candidate, uh, do yeah. reach out. Uh, how can people best get in uh, get in touch with you guys? Uh, we have emails. Like, we it's just emails yeah, over yeah. there. So, so my my email or oh, I just say it. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, k a t t g u seven at gmail dot com. Yeah. So mine is s u j i dot y a n at d i m dimension dot i m. So I'm open for investors and anyone who interested in the labor protection, maybe because I uh, our the the programmers and employees in my company is quite flexible. I mean. <laughs> Some of them, they just say... Yeah, you just, better practice what you preach, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, just uh, last month, you know, one of the employees said, I will, I will just look. Uh, we, we, My virtual wife, which wife in Japan, will have a, you know, whatever, new a concert. new concert, you know, anime character, and we should go. And you, I mean, uh, he said, I should go. Said, yeah, yeah, you go. And he, he worked remotely for coding, and it's fine. I mean, I think the, the creative job should be done in that way. Cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on China Econ Talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. China Econ Talk is edited by Jason MacRonald and Kaiser Guo and is a proud member of the Seneca Network from Sub China. For other great shows on China, check out the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices podcast, and of course, the Seneca podcast. Now in its ninth year. Until next week. Shine, 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 shine,